Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We are located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we want to be a community of faithfully present people with God, self, and others. We hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are. And thanks for joining us. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, We're really in the Advent season now. If you're new to the Christian faith or haven't ever heard that word Advent before, all it means is arrival or coming, the arrival of of the Lord Jesus. That's what we're celebrating. So last week I was out of town uh, for a few days. I was down in uh, what they call the great nation of Texas. And um, there's a lot of guns in Texas. And um, that was new for me. Um, but it was, I had an incredible time. I didn't shoot any guns. No guns were fired near me. Thank, thanks be to our Lord. Um, but yeah, I was down there. I was speaking uh, at Mission Church, a church that uh, sent a mission team actually up here to serve us in Seattle at Mary's Place and some other places throughout uh, uh, over the summer. And so it was, it was really fun. Uh, got way out in hill country if you know where that is in Texas, what that looks like. But anyway, it's way out in hill country with a bunch of men and I'm under the stars and they're worshiping Jesus. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And uh, gosh, on Saturday morning, I was talking to um, this guy named Tamar right after. So Tamar, uh, Egyptian guy, grew up uh, in a half Catholic, half Muslim family. Uh, he came on the men's retreat and as I was preaching about the love of God and this and that, you're right. You're like, yeah, we know, man, you always talk about that. Uh, I was talking about the love of God and in talking about the love of God, he came up after and he's like, hey man, so God is holy. I get that. Yeah, I was like, yeah, and he loves me. Yeah, and he goes, and so, so it's like through Jesus that I can like, know God. It's like, yeah, man, like that. And he's like, oh, that's cool. I was like, well, all right, I'll catch you later, bro. <laughs> so I just walked off, went back to the, Cabin and ate barbecue. And 10 minutes after I'm eating my lunch, this guy walks up and goes, Hey, dude, that guy Tamar you just talked to, I just prayed with him. He just became a Christian. Like, oh my gosh, like, it was so cool. Just became a believer. So, anyway, I, I just want you to know that I, I came back just so like refreshed, uh, revived though it was very tiring, but nonetheless, it was incredible. And I'm so excited about uh, doing some stuff like that with our men uh, next year too. So anyway, thank you for praying for me. Uh, Thank you staff and elders and everybody that held it down. Okay, so here we go. We're going through the last two verses of Mary's song called The Magnificat. And so if you have a, a pen, paper, take notes in your phone, whatever you take notes on, there's, there is just, this is a, there is a ton in these last two verses. And I'll be honest, in reading the scripture last week and getting ready to study, I read it and went, that's ah, okay. You ever do that with certain verses? You're like, okay, okay. I, I, it's not flashy like Romans chapter eight, like what will separate us from the love of God, right? Nothing in all creation. This was a verse that was more like, God remembers his people. And I was like, cool, that's, that's cool, uh, And then I got to studying and was utterly blown out of the water, like all week going, oh, God has spoken. And these two verses are just as jam-packed as Romans chapter eight or John 3, 16 or anything else. So it is, it's incredible. So I'm excited to to walk through this particular passage. So let's uh, pray once more and we will, we'll dig in. Father, uh, we do come to you in the name of Jesus. 
And we're gathered to you and by you, through you and for you. God, it's our prayer today that we would walk out of here more like Jesus. Now we walked in and we acknowledge that that won't happen apart from your Holy Spirit leading us, guiding us, convicting us, correcting us, empowering us and indwelling us as your children. So in the next few minutes, we ask that you would do that. Help me, God, to have a focused mind and a clear heart. Thank you for your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here it is. Mary is closing out the last two verses of her song, just to kind of recap and let you know what's going on here. She's sharing the news with her relative Elizabeth, who is also about to give birth, uh, that Mary's now saying, I'm carrying the Son of God, okay? I'm going to be, I've been overcome by the Holy Spirit, right? And I'm going to now... (laughs) be carrying the son of God over the next nine months. Uh, Elizabeth, her relative, is about six months pregnant and she too is about to give birth to the forerunner, John the Baptist. John the baptizer is gonna come onto the scene in a number of years, right? He's gonna announce, prepare the way of the Lord and then Jesus will come after John. They're having this conversation and as Mary is sharing the good news that God has been gracious to her and allowing her to play this unbelievable role in world history, in the kingdom of God, she bursts into song. And so that's what we're reading. And so we've been walking it through and now we're in these last two verses and they are beautiful. As she sings about the faithfulness of God, that God is not faithful 50% or 85% or 99% of the time, but God is completely faithful 100% of the time. Scripture says this, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Okay. First, who is he? He has helped Israel. Okay, this isn't a, we know this. The answer is always Jesus, Bible, or pray, something like that in Sunday school, right? Who is the he? God has been faithful. God is the one who has been faithful. The God is the one. Not Moses, not David, not Solomon, not Noah. God is the one who has been faithful. He has helped his servant Israel. That Israel itself, the nation of Israel, has its origins and its purpose in God and God alone. That Israel's origins are not in a prophet or some kind of dictator or movement leader, but they are in God and God alone. And if you ask the question, so why did God pick Israel anyway? Like, why start there? Some of us must have wondered that along the way. Why pick Israel? Good moralistic thinking says something like this. Well, if you're exceptionally well-behaved and, you know, sit up straight and hold doors for people and are polite and try to be a decent moral human being, then God should have some favor on your life or pick you or something like that. Simple moralistic thinking, right? God picks good guys. But God makes it abundantly clear again and again throughout Scripture that he doesn't just go looking for good guys. God picks the bad guys again and again. And so just if you start jotting scriptures down, listen to this one. Deuteronomy 7, God says it explicitly clear in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. This is what it says. You're a people 
holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Here's why. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is, here's why God chose Israel. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Catch that. Here's why God picked Israel. Not because they were impressive, not because they were good or moral or mighty or any of this or that. God picked them simply because he chose to love them. Maybe you need to just be reminded of that alone this Advent season. That God chose you, that he set his love on you, not because you had your act together, but precisely because you didn't have your act together. And he is just that big of a God of grace. That God loves his people. Amen. Okay, so church, you are the chosen, beloved, forgiven, reconciled, cherished children of God. And if you let that sink down deep into your soul this morning, knowing that Jesus himself has conquered everything that stood between you and God, then the whole purpose of the Advent season comes to life the coming of the Lord Jesus to make us the children of God. All right. So this is the he. He, he has. We're, we're breaking down every word, by the way, today. All right. He has helped his servant Israel. I love this. This word helped. Um, here's how it breaks down lexically. Here's what it says. The word help literally means, it, it refers to providing support that directly corresponds to actual need. <laughs> okay. Like, Help that refers to providing support that directly corresponds to the real need. God's providing this kind of help. Like, uh, here's an example for, for those that are parents. Uh, there are times where a little one would like to help you with folding the laundry, doing dishes, or anything else around the house. And it's great. They, they mean well. And in their helping, they create more work. Yes. <laughs> That's not the kind of help that God offers. The two-year-old toddler help kind of going, I'm trying to help you out, but it's still gonna kind of be more of a mess for you to do and take care of. That's not the kind of help God offers. When God offers help, it corresponds perfectly to the actual need. When Mary's reflecting on the help that God offers his people, what on earth did they ever need help with? <laughs> Have you read your Old Testament? Everything. They need help with everything. Where do they start? Oh, enslaved in Egypt. They needed help. So God sent the liberator Moses. They needed help. So God gave them the law. They needed help. So God provided prophets to call them back. They needed help. So God gave them the sacrificial system. They needed help. So God gave them their rabbis. God gave them their priests. God gave them their kings. God gave them their leaders. God continually provided help again and again and again. God provides help that corresponds to the actual need of his people. 
but he didn't stop there. God provided Jesus. God provided his perfect life. He provided atonement through Jesus. He provided, finally, at the ascension, the capital H, helper. The Holy Spirit then descends. And then God establishes his church. And what is the church instructed to do? Love one another as Christ has loved you, which means we're constantly looking to lift the burden and help one another. He has helped his servant Israel. Maybe something to reflect on just throughout the Advent season is just find one thing that you can know that God helped you with this year. How did God help you? What did God help you through? Can you go back to February? What did he help you through? Maybe he helped you yesterday. Maybe it was just this morning on your way in. How has God helped you? He's helped his servant Israel, corresponding to the actual need. Uh, the Australian theologian John Nolan says it this way uh, in the next, this, this statement summarizing servant Israel. He's helped his servant Israel. He says this, servant is an epithet for the nation addressed in exile. So he's thinking way back to 8th century prophet Isaiah. Okay, this is where this servant comes from. If you go look up Isaiah chapter 40 through 53, uh, those are called the servant songs. It's speaking, God is speaking, or Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God to the servant Israel, the servant people of God. For the nation addressed in, is in exile and assured of God's help of the restoration of their fortunes, of their special standing with God and of their role as an instrument of his purposes. So here's what this means. The servant Israel, this piece right here. Faithful Jews remembered that their identity that they had as children of God was grounded in grace alone and that their obedience to God was giving evidence to the fact that they understood that reality. So if you go back and read Exodus, they're in captivity and God doesn't say, do the 10 commandments, stand on your head, whatever, and after you do that well enough, I'll get you out. Rather, in their captivity, God comes through in power, in grace, liberates them and then says, now that you're my people, here's how I want you to live. It's called the law. That's where the law comes from. The law comes after grace. The same way it is in the gospel that we practice our obedience based on the grace of God, not in an effort to get his attention or earn right standing with him. All right, servant Israel. Isn't this cool? Yes, all right, all right, yeah. Okay, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring, forever. Okay, so here's Mary. She's singing, and as she's singing, she starts reflecting on Abraham and our fathers. What did God say to Abraham and to our fathers? She's thinking about this thing the Bible calls covenant, and there's a number of special covenants that happen throughout the Old Testament. At the very beginning, the very first one, this is so great. It's called uh, the proto 
evangelion in nerdy systematic theology circles. And what it means is this, the very first gospel. You know where the gospel begins? Not Matthew chapter one, verse one. It begins in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, right after we blew it. God comes on the scene and says to Adam and Eve, what does he say? I'm gonna crush the serpent's head. I'm going to crush his head. I'm gonna send a redeemer through the woman. I'm gonna send a redeemer and I will be bruised as my heel comes down and crushes the serpent. I'm going to be wounded in the redemption of my people, right? The very first covenant, Mary's going back, going, oh, back when we messed up back when we took the fruit, back when we sinned, back when we rebelled, God came on the scene right then and there. And what did he come with? Animal skins to clothe their nakedness, forgiveness in his heart and a promise to come through. I will come down there myself. (laughs) So she goes back to the covenant with Adam. But, but there's also the covenant with Noah. If you go read Genesis chapter nine, listen to this. And you know this one. It's the covenant surrounding creation. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I, that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it'll be a sign between, of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring the clouds to cover the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of flesh. And the waters will never become a flood to destroy all the flesh ever again. So she's going back to God's covenant with Noah. So when you see the, the rainbow hung up in the clouds, has anybody ever explained that to you, right? You know what this is? In ancient Near Eastern Babylonian text, it would be, it, you would see a, a warrior come back from war and after conquering and doing something mighty, he would hang his bow on the wall. When God, after war and destruction and so on, what's going on? God looks down on his creation, hangs his bow in the sky, but it's a, it's a bow, it's a covenant saying, war's over between me and you. I've got a covenant with you, which means it's more than a promise. It's an oath. It's something sworn by his own life itself. (laughs) So Mary's thinking about God speaking to Adam, God speaking to Noah. Uh, God spoke to Abraham, right? Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 22. God unpacks this incredible plan now to move not just from creation with Noah, but to his covenant people. That's the Abrahamic covenant, right? And so in Genesis, I'll just read you one one passage. Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I'll show you and I'll make you a great nation. There's Texas. (laughs) I just caught that. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God comes down to Abraham and says, I'm going to do something unbelievable. I'm going to adopt people from all over the world into my family. And I'm going to do it through you, Abraham. I'm going to do it here. And so from Abraham, from this particular covenant that is established, this promise that's given here from Abraham, the other covenants that you see in the Old Testament also come alive. They're not in addition. They just expand on what God does with Abraham. Okay. So uh, the next covenant you see shows up with, um, with Moses. So in the Exodus that we just mentioned, they're liberated from captivity 
He makes a covenant with them. And then you see in Exodus chapter 20 uh, at Mount Sinai, we get the 10 commandments. It's expanding on what God's doing with Abraham. And then you get over into 2 Samuel chapter seven with David and the Davidic covenant comes down and God makes this promise. That's 400 years after Moses, mind you. God comes down, speaks to King David and what's he say? In 2 Samuel, he he talks about, I'm gonna establish through you the lion of the tribe of Judah and he's gonna reign forever and ever and ever. That, that, that the root of David, the, the culmination of David, the pinnacle of your dynasty, David, is not with you conquering other nations with a sword. It will be through my son who comes to give his life for the nations to bring them into the family of God. You see these promises? That's the stuff that's going on in Virgin Mary as she's remembering what God has spoken to Abraham and to our fathers, this faithful covenantal love. So then when you get to this verse though, where it says right there in verse 54, he's helped his servant in remembrance of his mercy. The word for Hebrew, uh, for Hebrew, is Hebrew. <laughs> the word for remember in Hebrew is zakar. You wanna say that? One, two, three. Zakar, there you go. Zakar, it, it doesn't mean uh, like Oh, I, for, I forgot about my people down there. Shoot, I better, I better do something. <laughs> like, oh, I got to call Zach back. I totally forgot to call you, dude. My bad. I, I messed up. <sighs> Glad somebody reminded me. God's not sitting in heaven and an angel come by and be like, hey, man, you know, you haven't thought about uh, Israel in a minute. Oh, you're right. That's not what's going on with God remembering Israel. The word remember right here literally means to turn his attention toward and to act completely. Act. That's what it means. God has remembered. God has acted. So some examples. Genesis chapter nine, back to Noah. It says like God remembered Noah and caused the waters to subside. He acted on behalf of Noah. In Genesis chapter uh, 30, Rachel uh, wants to bear a son. She's been crying out to God. And it says, God remembered Rachel and opened her womb. In Jeremiah chapter 31, it says, uh, God is talking about his new covenant. What does he say? I will, I, I, will, I will establish a new covenant with my people and I will remember their sins no more. Meaning I'm no longer going to act toward their sin. I will not act toward them. I will remember, I'll act on their behalf. That's what's going on here. So now Mary's reflecting on all this faithful covenantal stuff all throughout the Old Testament. And she goes, and God has remembered his people. He's acting right here, right now. He's doing the thing that he did with Abraham, with Noah, with David, with Moses. But he's, he's coming through right now. He's coming through on my behalf and on behalf of our people. He's acting ultimately, finally. He's, he's chosen me to now Carry the son of God, the savior, the one who's gonna crush the snake, the one who's gonna reconcile men to God, the one who's gonna bring healing. He's doing it, he's acting. God is remembering, God is acting right now, literally, physically within Mary. That's what's going on. This is why she's bursting out in song, going, redemption's here. He has come through on his promise to his people. Isn't that good? God has turned his attention. 
And then it says this, in remembrance of what? The mercy of God. In remembrance of his mercy, grace, affection, tenderness. The kind of affection that a mother has for her own baby. It's that kind of affection. And God leans into this again and again throughout the Old Testament, taking on the nature of a parent and in speaking and taking human-like characteristics and ascribing them to himself so that he can best relate to us. And God doesn't do it just once. He does it again and again, and you've got to catch this. Listen to how God speaks. These are such, and it's not flowery rhetoric. These are the words of the mighty prophets speaking and telling us, giving us a window into God's heart. Listen to this. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 20, it says this. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? Darling? When was the last time you used the word darling and didn't blush? Is Ephraim my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, he's dealing with rebellious people. I have to speak against him. As often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. I'm going to act on his behalf still. I will, and then it says, therefore my heart yearns for him. The Hebrew there is, is literally like, hey ma. Like, hey ma. <laughs> when you walk in the, hey ma, hey ma. Meaning my soul quakes within me. That when God saw his people on their worst day, it's, it literally means unrest and commotion. That something is going on in the emotional life of God himself. As often as I have to speak against him, my heart yearns for him. Do you know that that's God's heart and posture toward you? That's why we have Christmas. Is that God's heart became so restless toward your redemption that he sent Jesus to bring you into the family. (laughs) Wow. What was I doing right to get his attention? And again, it was nothing. This is why we celebrate grace Alone, amen, amen. Okay, in Isaiah, he says it this way, Isaiah 49, verse 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget or literally fall asleep. Yet I'll never forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You see, God's posture is not like this with his hands folded under his coat, grumpy, angry. He doesn't have a backhand coming toward you. He's not rising up to fight you. God's hands toward you are open and he's written your name on his hands so that when you see him, you know you belong. You're mine. You're mine. You belong right here. You don't belong out there. You belong with me. You're made in my image and you're reconciled through my blood. I give you my name. I give you a ring on your finger and a coat on your back and shoes on your feet. You're welcome home here. That's what God's heart is toward his children. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. There's nothing where your sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. God wrote your name on the palms of his hands. He's written your name in the book of life and nothing can blot that out. (laughs) 
That's so awesome. That's so undignified. It's for everybody in our city. Whether you sit in a cubicle at Amazon or you're an artist or a mom or a dad that stays home with kids or whatever, if you cut grass or collect the recycling, whatever your job is. It's God's heart toward everyone. Walking up and down Aurora or living in an RV or whatever's going on in our city. People in the tents too. It's for everybody. This is for everybody. doesn't matter our ethnic backgrounds or political this or that. This is the good news of the gospel. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hosea says it this way. Hosea 11. I'll read you just one more. When Israel was a child, again, remember Hosea, prophet that has to marry the prostitute? And God says, this is the metaphor that I want you to understand. This is what it's like. Our relationship is like this. And Hosea has to go and buy his wife back again and again. On that day, when God finds you at your just worst, this is where God's heart goes toward. Listen, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more that they rebelled and went away. And they kept sacrificing to the Baals and they kept burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim how to walk and I took them up by their arms and they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with the bands of love. How can I give you up, Ephraim? My heart recoils within me and my compassion grows warm and tender. So when God finds you, even after you became a Christian, listen, even after you became a Christian and utterly blew it, You know where God's heart goes? Not, I told you, I told you not to do that and you did it anyway. God's heart goes toward you. On your worst day, he goes, what does he start thinking about? Taking up a toddler when they wrap their little fingers around your fingers and teach you how to walk. That image is where God says, I want this image in your mind. That at your worst, throwing a temper, struggling with addictions, you can't seem to clean your act up and you just blow it day after day. God's heart towards you goes, oh, I love my babies. There's nothing they can do to separate me from them. Nothing. That's him towards us, guys, gals. This is the best news ever. This is what we celebrate in Advent. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. Can I just, uh, yes, I've got to tell you this. This is great. Um, Mary's thinking through all of this stuff. A faithful Jewish woman is now recalling what God had revealed throughout scripture concerning his mercy. And this mercy is powerful. This mercy, it's, it, it's literally uh, the Hebrew word. Here's a fun word, rachamim. And what that means is it, it literally, it comes from uh, the Hebrew root, rachem, which means womb. Womb. Why does the word mercy have anything to do with a, a, a mother carrying a child? What does that have to do? Everything. Everything. That, that with, it's within the womb that the, the, tightest, the tightest bond of intimacy and connection is made. Every movement. Tenderness. Compassion. Care. Protection. Concern, love, mercy. It's in that Mary goes, so God has remembered, he's acting toward me. 
in mercy. <laughs> we didn't know we were going to get this much Hebrew today, did we? This is fantastic, though. Man. So God has remembered. God has acted. So Mary is now physically carrying Jesus in her womb. And as she feels him move around, she loves him. She makes connection between him and she wants the people of God. That's why it's preserved in scripture for us to know that this is God's heart toward us. Compassion and tenderness. So Mary remembered in Luke 1. That word remember shows up one more time in the gospel of Luke. Do you remember it? you remember it? Luke chapter 23. One of the criminals who were, railed, who were hanged railed at Jesus saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? You are under the same sentence of condemnation. Indeed, we justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. What's the thief doing next to Jesus? He doesn't ask Jesus, when you get into heaven, think about me once in a while. He's saying, when you go into the presence of your father, I want you to act on my behalf. Whatever you're accomplishing right now is the lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. Go before the father and act on my behalf. Be my advocate, be my justification, be my atonement. Take my sin away. When you get into your kingdom, remember me, act on my behalf. Listen, if you're not a Christian today, that's how you pray. Just say that to Jesus and the response comes back every time. Today you will be with me in paradise. I will act on your behalf. I will come through for you. I will make my blood count for you, my life for yours. Your death goes to me. My righteousness goes to you and the spirit of God will save and seal you. Church, that's who you are. You are the remembered ones of God. The ones in which God not only thought about you, but acted toward you in mercy. Dan, you want to come lead us in worship? Man, let's do that. Let's just go and worship. Man, amen. Um, gosh, let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus. Thank you for the atonement that you've applied to us. Thank you for acting on our behalf and helping your servants. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the good news of the gospel in Advent. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to redemptionseattle.com.